0: All right, Uh, so we're in Ephesians still, Um, we're going to be in Ephesians 3 tonight, we're picking up, this section is the concluding section for the first three chapters, Uh, it sort of ties up everything we've been talking about, and so in light of that we have to draw, but this might be the last time, this might be the last time we use the whiteboard. but it's going to tie up sort of all these big ideas so a lot of people say that Ephesians 1 to 3 is a lot of big doctrinal beliefs and then Ephesians 4 to 6 the, the final three chapters are your response to that so here are these big doctrinal ideas and in light of these big doctrinal ideas live this way do these things be this way uh, and so most people break the book down that way and that's fine Um, It's not completely that way, but it's a good way of looking at Ephesians. And so tonight we're going to close out chapter 3 and close out that initial section of these big doctrinal ideas. And so I do want to tie a bit of that up. I'm going to remind us of a few things so that we can apply that well. Uh, And so you you see the bigness of of Ephesians 1 to 3 really in explaining all the powers that are at work against humanity, uh, the flesh your own sinful desires waging war against you, um, the world that we live in, it, the culture that we live in, um, specifically with its expectations on you as an individual about how you're supposed to look, what are you supposed to do, what are you supposed to be like, how much money are you supposed to make, what kind of job are you supposed to have, what does success look like, what does failure look like, what does acceptance look like, all of these things, we have cultural beliefs that are literally waging war against us and pushing us in a specific direction. When I say us, I don't mean Christians, I mean humans. I mean humans. Um, And not only do we have the the sinful desires, the flesh waging war against us, the world that we live in waging war against us, we even have uh, what we looked at the last few weeks, spiritual forces of darkness, Satan, the accuser, at work doing things as well, to accuse, to condemn, to try to guide and direct our lives as well. And so we look at all three of those things. And so we look at the bigness of this idea that God addresses all three of those powers and disarms them. And then we looked at that other huge idea of really, if you could put this succinctly, that God has been engineering the rise and fall of nations throughout history to bring about His Messiah at the perfect time to unite all peoples from every nation underneath one God the Father. Right? And so it wasn't just that Jews were the people of God. It is that the Jews were moved around by God in world history to position to be positioned at a specific time when Jesus comes on the scene and in one fail swoop, Jesus dies on a cross, buried in a tomb, is resurrected... And the movement of nations throughout history makes sense. We have God becoming flesh to disarm the powers that are against humanity so they can be united with God again underneath one God and Father, one family from many nations, not just the Jews now, but all nations gathered together underneath God, no longer held down by the powers that work against them, the flesh, the sin, right? the world in the demonic realm, right? So we've unpacked these huge ideas, and then what we're going to see tonight is this gets really personal in a really sort of beautiful way. Um, And he says, in light of all this, I want you to be strengthened in your inner man, right? In light of that, what is your day-to-day life on the inside like? Uh, And so we're going to get into some things tonight. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be particularly heavy. I don't think it will, I just want to start by saying, um, I don't say any of this as someone who has arrived, as someone who is a completely stable individual. I don't say this as someone who really gets this and is doing really well at this. I say this as someone who is a few years in the journey of walking with Jesus and trying to submit everything to Him and Him fill me with strength and power and forgiveness Him meet my weaknesses and me walk in that. And me being a little better than I was three years ago. Me seeing Him move and be faithful in ways that I didn't see three years ago, but I see more and more now. But I don't say this as having arrived and not dealing with any of this stuff. I deal with this stuff every day. And as I'm working through the sermon this week, like the heaviness of life weighed on me more than most, most weeks. So that I'm reading about strength in the inner being, and everything in my inner being is just falling apart. And I'm like, what? God, can't, how about you give me a good week and I have a place to talk from? And it's like, no. Uh, and so as we unpack this, just, I just want to say that I don't come at tonight from, like, in a place of arrival. I come from a place of on this journey and seeing the Lord move, knowing He's faithful, but still experiencing weakness and suffering, and anger, frustration, right? So, let's get into this and we'll, we'll draw some of the same pictures. I'm doing the same pictures over and over, right? So, not a lot of new pictures, just the same picture over and over, but we're going to tie up some loose ends tonight. So, we're going to be uh, in chapter 3. We're going to be in verse 14. We're not going to do much work tonight. We're just going to go down to 19. So, Ephesians chapter 3, Verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. But we can stop there. We can stop there. That's fine. For this reason. Uh, there's, there's two Greek words for this. Houtos and hada. Two Greek words. One of them means for this the things I just mentioned, and the other one means for this. The things I'm about to mention. Um, the one particular here is not what I'm about to mention. It's in light of the things that I've already said. So when he says for this reason, he's saying remember everything I just said. In light of everything that I just said, I'm doing this now. So I think it's really important that I'm, gonna, I'm just really going to quickly going to highlight a few things that I actually just talked about. I want to highlight them again with a picture so that we can use that picture to unpack. Right, right. So we've seen this picture all right too many times. Right. We've seen the beginnings of this picture, right? Okay, right. So we've seen this picture, okay. I'm getting tired of drawing it, all right? Not really. I literally draw this every day for some reason. I wake up and I draw it, and I'm like, ah, it's comforting, right? (laughs) A blue stick figure is thrilling for me. Okay. So I want to unpack a couple things, right? So Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God exists as spirit. He exists in a non-physical reality Um, before everything is made, He exists in community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's a Trinitarian being. He is not without anything. Perfect glory. Perfect majesty. Not needing anything. Not lonely. Not wishing anything was different, really. Like, He is cool and fine by Himself. And He actually enjoys Himself very much, right? He's perfect. And He doesn't have annoying people around Him, really. He's just a Trinitarian being who has all things, is overwhelmed with love, overwhelmed with creativity, overwhelmed with majesty, this being exists. And what we see is that he begins to create physical things. Genesis 1, right? He begins to create physical things. And so I've been, I drew this in purple. Purple means spirit throughout all of ancient history, right? No, um, that's just the color of my marker. Um, so, uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit exists as spirit, and then and then, they begin to create humanity or they begin to create the physical realm, creates the earth, creates the sky, separates the earth from the sky, separates the land from the waters, and then fills the sky with birds, and then fills the, the, the sea with fish, and then fills the land with animals, livestock things that roam on the ground, creeping things is what it says. I don't know what a, you know, probably what a creeping thing is. But we see him filling everything that he has separated. And all these things are physical, so I've drawn them in blue. Blue means physical. Throughout all of history. So... Here's this interesting thing. Everything in the physical realm, especially the, cr- the, the created beings, the creatures, they're all created after their own likeness. It says that several times. Everything. The birds of the air after their own likeness. The fish of the sea after their own likeness. The livestock after their own likeness. The creeping things after their own likeness. Everything is created after its own likeness except for one thing, his last creation. Humanity is not created after its own likeness. It's created after his likeness. It's created in the image of God. So then he breaks that pattern of saying, in its own likeness, in its own likeness, in its own likeness, in its own likeness. Humanity, I made them in my image, male and female in my image, both in my image. He says it three times. So he breaks his pattern and starts a new pattern. So we see something really interesting about humanity in that it is, it is both. You see what I'm saying here? Whoa. Nah. Y'all are in college. You have dirty minds. All right. Humanity is different than this being in that it's physical. But it's different than everything else here in that it's spiritual. Okay? You see that? In his image. And then, so he gives this statement. In my image, I made them. And the very next thing is their purpose statement. So now, in my image, I want you to bring my kingdom, right? My will. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, right? It's, so we get identity statement, purpose statement. And so we see this, and I've drawn this several times, remember? Someone tell me what this arrow represents, please. Covenant, yeah, right? Okay, excellent. Okay, so, so this is the way it works. That in covenant, in relationship with God, we then bring His way of life, His kingdom, His sovereignty, His rulership to the earth. If we do not do it, it will not be here. Now, is God free to do whatever He wants? Yes, but in Him being free to do whatever He wants, He decided to do it this way. Okay? He can do whatever He wants. But he decided to not rule the physical realm directly. He decided to rule it through vice regents' humanity who are created in his image, but also physical. So they are unique in all of creation in that they bear this purpose. right? And then so we saw the unfolding of this, that we reject the covenant. And in so doing, we do not bring the kingdom. What did we bring? We brought death. So then you get Genesis 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10... 11, 12, 13, 14, all the way up into Revelation 21, right? So we get death brought by humanity, but it changes a little bit, right? So the reason they bring death is because when this happened, something happened to us. And then remember we drew this out, that flesh wars against us, like I said, the world. We fell under the powers of other things satan right so we saw this that satan and th- and and the demonic realm the evil spirits are actually directing the world we were supposed to direct the world but we didn't direct the world because we rejected the community that was given us power to direct the world we stopped doing that we fell under another thing's authority and in so the world was lost to us we fell under the power of these three things ephesians 3 verse 1 or ephesians 2 verse 1 you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work, in the sons of disobedience, and you were all by nature children of wrath, gratifying the desires of the flesh. Ephesians 2, like 1 to 5, right? This is where we were. And then it unfolds. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, what he made us alive together with Christ, and seated us with him in heavenly places, so that this still exists but it doesn't have power this still exists but it doesn't have power this still exists but it doesn't have power and then what we see is the restoration it doesn't have power because Jesus has made a way for the covenant to be restored and in the covenant being restored the kingdom can be advanced once again right Do we see that This is where we are. This is where we sit. And so he says, for this reason. Since the powers that work against you have been disarmed, and since God has moved mountains and nations and history to make a way for this to be restored again, because like I said, He would have been just in Genesis 2 to just do this. You rejected me and just wiped us off the map. But instead doesn't do that he engineers a plan where he actually becomes a human and dies for humanity because he's absurdly loving absurdly loving that's not just kind of nice it's absurdly loving it's ridiculously loving that instead of wiping us off the map and being just in doing so he becomes a man dies for our sins lives a perfect life that can be attributed to us and so restore the relationship for the purpose of restoring his kingdom his dominion his will his sovereignty, his rulership, his life. But it happens through here, then through here, right? For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, right? So that whole, all families brought together, it's exactly what he's alluding to. He's alluding to the moving of nations, to draw all nations to himself. For this reason, uh, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, What is he praying for? And this is where we're going to drop in. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What does that mean? I'm sorry, I had chili. I was a judge in a chili cook-off just this afternoon. And so it's like coming up, right? Um, That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. In your inner man is what it actually says in the original language. In the inner man. What is that? What is that? Let's draw a picture, right? And we'll use this picture to make it make sense. Let's break down the mechanics real quick of this right here with two very simple circles. This is you and me. We are we are what you could call a holistic duality. Okay? We're a holistic duality. Um, C.S. Lewis was wrong. I'm sorry. He was wrong here. He has this saying that says, you're not a body with a soul, you're a soul with a body. And that's not correct. We are a body and a soul. Okay, one is not... You cannot be a human without being both of these. Like we drew here. If you are only a body, you're really just an animal. If you're only a spirit, well, you're just a spirit. So it's not that you're a body that contains a soul or a soul that contains a body. You are a body and a soul. And that's what makes you up. You it's it's indivisible. So when you even see when you even see in the end when Jesus returns, what happens is he raises the dead. He raises them in physical bodies and then in the end it's not that we are spirits who live in heaven. We are physical spiritual beings that actually live on the earth except for there's no sin or pain or crying anymore. That's the end of the story. Not you go to heaven and play a harp on a cloud. That would be terrible. That would suck. I'm sorry. It just really would. But it's not what happens. He resurrects the dead, judges the living and those who have died and been resurrected, and in their physical and spirituality, they then live forever without pain or crying or sin or death anymore. So what we were supposed to do from the beginning actually happens. Right? So here we have what humanity is. Now, some of you are going to say we're a three-part being. You're a spirit, soul, and a body. Okay, that's fine. Just put the soul in there, okay? The soul is your non-physical part. If you want to cut that in half and say you're a spirit and a soul, be my guest. That's totally fine. But what I'm saying is you are a physical and a non-physical being. There are aspects of you that are physical. There are aspects of you that are non-physical. And you've seen what I've done here, this overlap. That's probably where I would include your psychology. There are parts of you that are physical, but they feel very non-physical. Emotions, the things that drive emotions, love. Most of modern psychology only deals in this realm right here. They've sort of neglected this part, and rightfully so. Science really doesn't need to be diving in up here. You have no way to weigh or measure outcomes in a non-physical realm. So it's really it's not that that's bad science. If, you start, if science started addressing things in there, that'd be bad science because science weighs and judges the physical realm. So you've got these two parts, physical, non-physical. So what is the inner man? The inner man is just simply this part. And what you saw from this drawing is the inner man is what receives and cries out for relationship with God. It is the link, right? It's the link. So everything in here, your emotions, your will, your volition, um, every non-physical part of you sits right here. And then what you have here is your physicality, your organs, your brain, your blood, your physicality, your body. And that you are both of these. And that that inner man is the part of us that longs, longs for relational oneness with the One who created it. With the One who created it. And what we see is that by design and by the fallout from our rejection of God in the garden and the persistence of that, what we see is that the inner man is actually weak. When I say by design, what I mean is the inner man needed the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to affirm, to satisfy, to feed into. We need things like security, satisfaction, significance. We need to feel important. We need to feel like everything's okay. We need to feel like we're loved. Like we like, it, Have you seen uh, the documentary of the girl who was kept in a cage for her whole life and she was fed every physical thing that she needed but her parents and, and it may not have been her parents I can't remember this is I saw this in sociology but her parents or whoever it was that was she was never let out of this cage and for like 13 years I think it was 14 years she's in this cage and then she's let out of the cage and she's gotten everything physical that she needed they would slide food up underneath there and then they start like she, they, they find this girl. They I don't. Hopefully, they killed her parents in a in a terrible fashion, um, and then rescued her. And then when they did, and then when they did, there was just all of these studies coming out about her because she was so 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 underdeveloped because she had not received love. She had not received nurturing. And they, they, I can't remember, they had a name, but it was just this terrible name, like she was almost like an animal because she had not received these things that we as humans need. You can get everything you need here and you'll still be in a really bad way here because we are both, right? And so what we see from the beginning is that we are engineered to be in need. We are in need of affirmation, like I said, security, significance. We're in need of these things, and it was up to this being to provide them. But the fallout from the fall has also caused in that weakness for us to need so much more because in the world that we live in, there is an incredible amount of pain, an incredible amount of rejection, an incredible amount of anger, an incredible amount of anxiety, an incredible amount of jealousy, an incredible amount of fear, all these things that you and me and every other human on the planet wrestles with is locked up in here. It's locked up in there. And that we needed to be affirmed in our frailty as humans, but then in our frailty and in the falling apart of humanity, this also got damaged. And so that we as humans are in need, but we are also damaged and broken. In desperate need, damaged and broken. And so that what we see is that uh, when these powers get destroyed and that Christ restores relationship, that the first thing that He is about doing, that the first thing that He begins to do is to restore the inner man. He begins to restore the inner man so that life can be brought to all of the man and then in life being brought to all of the man, the kingdom of God can begin to come. But He begins to restore the inner man first. He begins to restore the damage. He begins to restore the hurt, the rejection, the fear, uh, the jealousy. He begins to restore the damage done to all of us as humans as we've walked around on this planet. He begins to restore. And that's his desire. And so what we see Paul saying in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, uh, even though the outer man is wasting away, the inner man is being renewed day by day. In that even though I'm getting old and tired and crippled, my inner man is growing strong and stable and and joyful, and that the inner man is being strengthened. The outer man is wasting weight. Romans 12 he says, "Be transformed by the renewing of your mind." So it's this progressive, that the will of the Lord is: restore this relationship affirm the inner man and begin to heal and begin to fix and begin to take care of the anger, the jealousy in increasingly strong and deep ways. That deep in the heart of the inner man, deep in here, there are things that we don't want to look at and we don't want to see and we don't like About ourselves, the things that have been done to us, and the things that we've done that we would rather push away or numb or get rid of because this is painful and we're not really sure how to deal with it. And that what God's intention is, is to go deeper and deeper into the recesses of the human heart and to heal and to fix. But here's the thing it's entirely possible, and it's actually more common that you would even become a Christian and never deal with any of that. That's actually more common. It's actually more common... Let's just go from a human standpoint, then let's go from a Christian standpoint. From a human standpoint, it is way, way, way easier to focus on this and to try to fix the emptiness and anxiety and the jealousy by working on this by trying to get more money, by trying to look better, by trying to get a mate that makes you feel better, by trying to impress people, by trying to get nice things, by trying to eat nice food, by trying to get wasted, trying to get high, right? There are so many other things that we can do in here that allow us to forget about and to suppress and to put away or even think that we're fixing what's going on in here. Let's even go from a Christian standpoint. Instead of dealing with the hurt and the anger, what can I do? I can read my Bible so God likes me. I can pray. I can evangelize. I can do all of these other things, this religious things, so that I don't have to deal with everything going on in here. And so that it is easier, it is much easier, it is much easier to put on Sort of a nicer face to suppress. Should I write in purple? I should, just to be consistent. To suppress the anger, the fear, the bitterness, the anxiety. It's easier to try to focus on this and to neglect this. All the while realizing over and over, it never works. It never provides. It never heals. It never fixes. It never goes away. And that I'm still as anxious as I've always been. I'm still as angry as I've always been. I'm still as bitter as I've always been. I'm still as fearful as I've always been. I'm still seeking these things and they won't heal. Because we would much rather stay right here. And so, over the last several weeks, you've heard me sort of, I'm going to say this. I'm not knocking reading your Bible. I'm not knocking praying. I'm not knocking evangelizing. Obviously, I'm not knocking those things. What I'm saying is they happen in power and in fruitfulness as we really deal with the entire human. And that if you notice the path, it's like this there will be nothing good going on here unless it comes through this does that make sense so that you could get all the money you want have the best job you've ever had have the hottest wife you've ever seen in your life have really great dogs that do everything that you say have a great 401k have the best friends in the world have everybody like you and this will still be here and you will still feel like crap when you wake up and when you go to bed in those times when you can't fit, when you can't forget about it, in those times when you're alone, in those times when you sit still and you don't have all the input and you don't have all the noise and then here come these things and you can't take a breath but you've got all these the reason that is is because the path of wholeness is this way right so this is why he says this is why he says in light of all these things in light of all these things in light of all these things I'm praying I'm praying that the spirit would strengthen you with power in the inner man with power in the inner man So like I've said we spend a ton a ton a ton of energy trying to convince everyone else, and ourselves, that this mess is not as bad as it is. We spend a ton of energy chasing and toiling. This is exactly what Genesis 3 is about. The curse of the man. That you will till the ground and you will toil And by the sweat of your brow, you will eat, but you will turn up thorns and thistles. That was not the way it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be fruitful labor with everything provided. And instead, we toil and strive and toil and strive by the sweat of our brow to convince ourselves and everyone else that this mess isn't quite as bad. That it's not that bad that the anger I can manage, the anxiety I can manage, the fear I can manage. And so I think some of you would say, like, no, I'm clinically depressed, I'm clinically anxious, I'm clinically, right, whatever. And I would say that's totally fine. That's totally might be true, that in here, I've just erased it, in here, that might exist. And meds will only deal with this. And so it might be that you need medication for depression. It might mean that you need medi- medication for anxiety. But it's not going to fix these things. It's going to work on this part that is both physical and spiritual. It is going to work on this part here that's both phys- there's a physicality issue to it, and that's fine. That might be totally true. But it is not holistic in that it can't deal with these things. And so I'm not saying yes or no to those things. I'm saying yes if you need them, and if your clinic, yeah, totally. By the will of the Lord. Follow his leading in that. But you've still got to deal with all this. Because it doesn't make it go away. Right. So. Yeah. Really quick example. Really quick example. I mean just an example of how I've seen this play out. Just over and over. Um, I had a close friend. Really close friend. Who had very oppressive parents. Who uh, Who had. Maybe the highest expectations on her that I've ever seen on anyone in my life. That says a lot. Like, I hear a lot of stories. But the expectations put on her were the most I've really probably ever seen in my life. Um... To such a degree that she performed really well at school and most things that she did. But she carried around so much anxiety because everything she did was to live up to a standard that had been placed onto her. And every time she just barely stepped out of that standard, then the whole world came crashing down on her by the disapproval of someone that she cared about and loved, her her father, right? So the whole world comes crashing down, which sends her into even more anxiety, more even wrestling with a little bit of depression, maybe not totally, but a little bit. So she's dealing with all this anxiety, and then she gets to the end of college. She gets to the end of her college career and is trying to figure out what the next step is, and she is freaking out, overrun with anxiety, overrun with all of these things, because she doesn't know how the future is going to play out, and if she's going to get a job that her dad approves of, if she's going to get money that her dad approves of. If she's doing all the right things to get the right job, if she's covering all of her bases, doing all the right steps, and so when there's supposed to be rest in, I've done my due diligence. I've applied where I need to apply. Now I trust my father to do what he's going to do, and I'm going to let go and just let him do what he needs to do because I've done what's diligent, and I'm going to sit back. and If he takes me to get this job, great. If he doesn't, great, because I trust his will, I trust his plan, and he's powerful and he can do. Instead, it's overwhelming anxiety that she cannot even sit down and pray to God because she's overwhelmed that the future's not going to play out like she expected it to play out. And if it doesn't play out like she's expecting it to play out, then the world is going to come down on her in the form of a disapproving father. That's one of a thousand ways this works. That here is anxiety pressing down and all we can do is toil and strive and toil and strive and toil and strive. So so how do we deal with that? What am I saying? How do we deal with that? The beginning of dealing with all of this is the admission of our weakness and that it is there. It's the admission of our weakness. Because anxiety is tied to something. Anger is tied to something. Fear is tied to something. You are afraid of something. You are angry at someone. You are anxious about something. And so healing begins. Healing begins. The holistic healing of a human being begins as we first admit Admit that the anxiety is there Because I'm fearful about this And about this and about this The way I've, uh, I've seen it play out in the same way uh, This um, girl Another girl that I'm really good friends with She uh, had a crazy terrible mom And this crazy terrible mom Just completely Disregarded and abused and abandoned her And so when she got to college She worked really 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 hard To not become like her mom was So every good thing that she did Was motivated out of the desire to not be like her mother. And so motivated to do, motivated to do, motivated to do, motivated to do. I'm so anxious about the way this is going to play out because I don't want to end up like my mother. Instead of, I'm going to rest. I'm going to do all that the Lord calls me to do. Wherever He leads me, I'm going to go. Whatever He says to do, I'm going to follow that. I'm going to sit. I'm going to read. I'm going to pray. I'm going to follow His leading wherever He says to go. Right. Instead of that, it's this. So the first step then is that we admit the weakness instead of toiling and striving, instead of toiling and striving to hide that it's actually there and to make people and ourselves think that it's really okay. We come to people, come to people that we know and we trust and we say, this is here I need to get to the bottom of it and a lot of times it's confession and repentance about things we've done a lot of times it's forgiveness of the people that have wronged us in Jesus name and we need to forgive them by the power and the work of Jesus not by minimizing their sin away and still letting it exercise control of us we need to address we need to address some specific things like letting go of control over how our future plays out what kind of mate we are going to get or not get, what I need to do to get the boyfriend or the girlfriend who's going to make me happy, to let go of the control of doing every little thing to please all of the superiors above you, like your professors um, and like your teachers, so that they approve of you and affirm you and like you. And so we are working so hard, so, so hard to be affirmed by the people above us that we have no idea of what the Lord is leading in our lives because we desperately need the attaboy from our superiors. Like, good job, you did good. And then we breathe for a moment and then we toil and strive again. And so some of us need to walk through anger and forgiveness. Some of us need to walk through dealing with some of the stuff uh, that we've been hanging on to our whole lives. I think a lot more of us need to deal with control, in the releasing of control over the future, over how school plays out, over where your job is going to take you, over the boyfriend or girlfriend that you're going to get and the wife or the husband you're going to get and all that you need to do to make that happen. The releasing of control so that the father can do this very thing. The father can do this very thing. We do not have strength in our inner being. We are not filled with the fullness of God. We do not move forward in power. We do not find ourselves rooted and grounded in in love because that is the product of dealing with these things and then coming underneath the faithful hand of our Father who has moved nations and the rise and fall of history so that He can restore us to Himself and that we can come in a morning, in a single morning, and sit down in our living room or on a porch and maybe not even open the Bible, and maybe not even say some eloquent prayer, but sit there and affirm to our Father that I believe You've forgiven every single thing that I've ever done by the blood of Your Son, and that You will lead me to do all that You want me to do today, and that I trust You to do that, and I'm not going to worry about three months, I'm not going to worry about two months, I'm not going to worry about all of these other things in the future, because You've shown over the course of 4,000 years that You are eternally and crazy faithful to those that You love, and that we can sit in that for a moment and just say, oh my God, yes, you do love me. Like, you would do anything. You, re- you would become a human and be birthed out of a woman so that you can die on a cross, so that you can restore me to to this relationship, like you would do that and so that we become overwhelmed with this right here and not let the fear of all of these little things just overwhelm us and drive us nuts and that we can say, I don't need to be anxious today because my Father is faithful and good to do all that He's promised to do. And everything He's going to lead me into, I can walk into if He just shows me what it is and he's been faithful to show me what it is and He will do that. And so I trust you to do that. And I'm just going to sit here and affirm that you love, that you are good, that you can do all things And I trust You. And I trust You. We have to get into that place. We have to be able to come into this place where we can be rooted and grounded in love. And the things that get in the way of that every day are these. So some of us need to deal with these things so that we can begin to root and ground in love And once we root and ground in love, we bring his kingdom. We bring his kingdom by showing mercy, by giving life, by sharing Christ because of what he's done and what he's doing in the most powerfully beautiful ways that are so simple and mundane and that we root ourselves in the love of our Father. And that you don't need to try to do more. No more books. No more Bible studies. No more. Jesus has done all. He's done all. And he will lead and he will, and he will guide. And we have, to just, we have to just let go. We have to just let go. And so I would say, some of you, yeah, some of you need to just admit the weakness But Paul said, I'll boast all the more of my weakness so that the power of Christ can rest on me. The anxiety, the anger, the fear, the bitterness is so overwhelming that it keeps us from rooting and grounding in the love that Jesus died for us to receive and be restored by.